right, good morning, Bridgeway. How are we doing? Good. It is good to see you. If we have not met, my name's Brian, one of the pastors here. Super good to have the Hearst brothers here, by the way, isn't it? You can clap for that. That's all right. So as we're, uh, we're getting started this morning, we're starting a two-part series, which I believe is the shortest a series can possibly be. And I'm going to say more about the series in a second, but as we get going, I have a question for you. You don't need to raise your hand or, or respond verbally or anything, but I just want you to think about, think about this question. If you could get a personalized download from heaven with God's specific perfect will for your life for this next week, would you want it? If you could get like down to the detail, I mean, like plugged into your iCal or whatever you use, like here's what you do from 2 to 2.05, here's where you go from 2.15 to 2.20, would you want it? My guess is that most of us would say yes. I mean, even if you're here and you're not even sure if you believe in God, even you would, would probably say, I'm not sure if there's a God, but if there is a God, I would like to know what he's looking for from me. And then for the rest of us who would say, yeah, I do believe in God, we at least want to know. We, at the very least, we want to take God's will under advisement, don't we? Most of us, we at least, we want to know God's will. We want to know, God, what is your will for our lives? And if that's the case, why is it that so many of us struggle to find it? Why is it that so many of us have so many questions when it comes to understanding and living out God's will? I remember when I was 23 years old, I was living in Los Angeles and I was a year out of college. And I was trying to figure out what was next for me in my life. I knew that I wanted to go to seminary, but I wasn't sure where. I had, I was, like I said, I was living in Los Angeles and I had a job offer from a church in Oceanside that I had, that I had interned at the previous summer and it didn't pay a whole lot, but it was a job and it was going to allow me to work in ministry while I attended a seminary in Southern California. But I had also recently visited a school in Vancouver and had completely fallen in love with it. I'd loved the school. I'd loved the faculty. I loved the community. Uh, I just, I love the outdoors and kind of living in, in Vancouver as an outdoorsy person sounded very appealing. And I liked the idea of just kind of having a complete fresh start at a new place and finding a new church. It was all very interesting to me. And I agonized over this decision for weeks leading into months. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed because I believed there was one right choice for me to make. And that also means there was a wrong choice. And I wanted to make sure that I got this choice right. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I went and I met with my pastor. I talked to my friends. I made pros and cons lists. I did all of that stuff. It even, it even got to this point, and this is 100% true. So one, one, a job I had at the time was I was working for a family in Beverly Hills tutoring their kids. And, and one day I took two pieces of paper wrote the first initial of the school in Southern California on one, wrote the first initial of the school in Vancouver on the other, crumpled them up into little, you know, into little balls, and had this junior high student who I wouldn't trust with anything <laughs> pick one. Could there be a better way to determine God's will than that, right? I don't remember which one he picked, because I think even in that moment, I'm like, okay, this is getting out of hand. (laughs) 
I don't remember which one he picked. But I remember having no small amount of anxiety about this decision. And I even remember one morning in December, as I was driving to work, I called the church in Oceanside and I said, I'm in, I'm going to take the job. And even then, I couldn't shake this nagging feeling that I was making the wrong choice. And I absolutely believe I would have had that nagging feeling had I made the opposite choice. And what was so stressful about that situation was I remember, my goodness, that I'm, I'm training for the ministry. Surely the Lord has an opinion as to where I go to receive that training. And surely I ought to be able to discern what it is. And I mean, if I'm going to serve God as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I need to be able to stand up in front of people and tell them about when the biggest decisions of my life, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed and God made it so clear and I followed him in obedience. I needed that story. But God didn't give it to me. God didn't give it to me. And I want to ask you, have you been there? Have you been in those situations in life where you've got a decision to make and you want to know God's will? You want to make the right decision and yet you find yourself lacking clarity. And if you have been there, what's that all about? If there is a good God in heaven who sees us, who knows us, who loves us, who knows our names, why does he let that happen? Why is it that sometimes the fact that you're a Christian can actually complicate your decision-making process as opposed to helping your decision-making process? Because not only do you already have a hard decision to make in the first place, now you have to add to it the added stress of the potential that you could agitate, anger, or irritate God by the decision that you make. Or how many of us have, 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 have approached decisions like one of those choose your own adventure books? You remember that? Where it's like, turn to page 36 to walk down the path. Turn to page 72 to walk into the cave. And you choose the cave and there's a bear in there and he eats your face. Like, why would you choose to go into the cave? What good? Anyway, you get what I'm trying to say. Is it possible that there's a better way to make decisions? Is it possible that when it comes to making decisions, you and I are seeking clarity when God wants us to use wisdom. And is it possible that when it comes to making decisions, you and I have more freedom than we realize? See, too often we think of God's will in terms of destinations. We think of God's will in terms of specific pathways. Where God desires for us to think about his will in terms of alignment. Aligning our hearts with his. So we're going to talk about that for these next two weeks. This series is called Realign. Taking the guesswork out of knowing God's will. And the first part of the series, where there are ways, there's a will. Is what we're going to talk about this morning. And that will hopefully make more sense by the end of our time together. The material we're going to cover today and next weekend comes from several books and sermons I've read and listened to on the subject. And it has been nothing short of life-changing for me, which is why I'm so excited to share it with you. It has taken the anxiety and the guesswork out of the seemingly big decisions of my life. And more than that, it has inspired me to be more attentive and intentional 
in my life's seemingly more simple and mundane moments. But as we get rolling, here's the good news. And I don't really have bad news. I just have good news. But here's, here's a particular piece of good news. God wants you to know his will. God wants you to know his will. Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 15, Paul writes this. He says, look carefully now how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Understand what the will of the Lord Lord is. Paul says, listen, pay attention to the way that you live your life. Don't be unwise, but be wise. Now, here's the funny thing about wisdom. Nobody plans to be unwise. None of you are looking forward to, okay, 2018, I am going to seek to be as unwise as possible. And we'll just see how it goes. Nobody plans to be unwise. They just don't plan not to. And I get that that's a double negative, but hopefully you follow what I'm saying. Paul says, look carefully then how you walk. Don't be unwise, but be wise. And he goes on to say, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. My wife and I have this little inside joke with each other that comes from a scene in the television show, The Office. And the inside joke is this, that we like to say to each other that the number one rule at all times and in all circumstances is don't be an idiot. There are absolutely no situations in which being an idiot is permissible or advisable. You might want to write that down. Number one rule, don't be an idiot. And we'll like see things happening in the world or situations will, you know, go on or we'll hear about stuff. And we'll just say to the other, man, looks like someone forgot the number one rule. (laughs) What a bummer, right? Don't forget the number one. Don't forget the number one rule. Ephesians 5.17 is sort of a more sophisticated way of stating the number one rule. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will is of the Lord is. God wants you to know his will. But then saying that raises some questions. If God wants us to know his will, and if knowing God's will is so important, why is it so often difficult to find? Why does it seem, as it seemed for me all those years ago, that in the biggest moments of our lives, God seems silent? Is it possible that we're going about this all wrong? I believe it is. And if we can realign our thinking when it comes to understanding God's will, it will not only take the guesswork out of knowing his will, but it will increase our sense of freedom and joy as we seek to make God-honoring, life-enhancing decisions. Now, if we're going to understand God's will, we first need to understand that, that God's will, if we're going to talk about it, it falls into three distinct categories. If you're a note taker, it might be helpful to write these down. Number one, there is God's will of decree. God's will of decree. God's will of decree is everything that has happened or will happen. God in his sovereignty accomplishes everything he decrees. And there are numerous verses in scripture that attest to God's will of decree. In Isaiah 46 verses 9 and 10, it says, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God says, I will accomplish all of my purpose. When God sets out to do something, his will does not have to pass through committee. 
right? His will is not up for a vote. God, God accomplishes what he sets out to accomplish. His will of decree is absolute, it is authoritative, it is final, and it is good. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write the word works next to God's will of decree. Because God's will of decree refers to God's works. It's what God does. But that's not the only category of God's will. The second category of God's will is God's will of desire. God's will of desire. There is an absolutely fantastic little book about the subject of understanding God's will called Just Do Something by a pastor named Kevin DeYoung. And in that book, Kevin DeYoung says this. He says, if the will of decree is how things are, the will of desire is how things ought to be. The will of desire is how things ought to be. And there are, again, numerous passages that reflect God's will of desire. When Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, clearly that was not a decree because you and I are still having a really hard time with that one. But it is a reflection of God's will of desire. First Peter says, humble yourselves before God. It's his will of desire. Romans 12 says, outdo one another in showing honor. James 1 instructs us to be slow to speak and quick to hear. That's God's will of desire. It's God's will of desire. And if you're taking notes, you might want to write down the word ways next to God's will of desire. Because God's will of desire, which is also referred to as God's moral law, refers to God's ways, the ways God desires for us to live as his people. Now, more often than not, God's ways are clear. God's ways are clear. We might look at some of the examples that I just gave, and I think it's fair to say we have some questions about what does it look like to apply some of these things in specific situations. And there's certainly some life ambiguity. I'm not going to dispute that. But very few of us come to a command like, thou shalt not kill, and we're totally confused. Like, well, wait, what is that, right? Or even, even a command like to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Like, I get it. I understand what that means. Now, clear does not always mean easy. Clear does not mean easy. Be slow to speak and quick to hear. That is very clear. But I'm still having a hard time with it, right? Loving my enemies, I get what that means. I'm just having a hard time with it. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's tough for me because I'm naturally selfish, right? It's clear, but it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's easy. So we've got God's will of decree, which refers to his works. God's will of desire, which refers to his ways. But there is a third category of God's will. And it's a category that we give an inordinate amount of attention to. And that is God's will of direction. God's will of direction. This refers to specific guidance in specific situations. Should I take that job? Should I date that person? Should I marry that person? Should I move? Should I change careers? Should I go to the grocery store and then the dry cleaners or the dry cleaners and then the grocery store? Which, that's not even a question. Of course you go to the dry cleaners first so your groceries aren't getting warm in the car. But anyway, we want God's answer to the who, what, when, and where of our lives. All those years ago, that's what I wanted. I wanted clarity. God, Southern California or Vancouver, I'll follow wherever you lead. Just point me in the direction And I'll go. It's God's will of direction. And when it comes to God's will of direction, 
typically what you and I want is we want clarity on primarily non-moral decisions. Should we have kids? Should we start trying to have kids now or should we wait two years? How many should we have? Should I pick up an anthropology minor? Like that sort of thing. I realize those are like wildly different spheres of life right there. But you get it, right? We want God's will and earnestly seeking God's will of direction feels like the right thing to do. But there's a dark side to all of this. The dark side is when you and I are obsessed with finding God's will of direction, it can lead to all kinds of paranoia. We can be paralyzed by indecision because we're afraid of making the wrong choice. And why wouldn't that make us afraid? The last thing we want is to be outside of God's will. It can be terrifying. But to quote Kevin DeYoung, again, he says this. He says, God's will of decree is good. Following his will of desire is obedient. Waiting for God's will of direction is a mess. It's a mess. And why is it a mess? It's because it's a mess because God is not a magic eight ball that we just dust off and ask a question to and shake every time we need guidance. Looks promising. Oh, great. He's a loving God who gives us brains, who shows us what obedience looks like, and then invites us to walk closely with him so that our character is formed in a way that empowers us to make wise and courageous decisions. But come on, that flies in the face of so much of what we've heard or so much of what we've assumed, doesn't it? Because convention teaches us that again, that God has a very specific will for our lives. God has a very specific path set out for us or a very specific blueprint for us. And it's up to us to find that path and to follow it exactly. But the problem, of course, is finding that path isn't always easy. Finding that path is really, really difficult. But it flows from this kind of conventional line of reasoning that finding God's specific path for our lives is very important because it's the only way we can honor him. It's the only way we can experience fulfillment. It's the only way we can live into our destiny or whatever. That's not complete nonsense, but it's pretty close. Okay? Here's the part of that that is true. The part of what I just said that is true. God does have a plan for your life. And God is intimately interested in not just the big stuff. He is interested in the details. And God, in his sovereign grace and mercy, will equip you to perfectly accomplish that which he desires to accomplish in and through your life. God will perfectly equip you to accomplish that which he desires to accomplish in and through your life. And you can be confident that God will use anyone and anything, even your mistakes, to conform you into the image of his son. That is good and beautiful and true. But... You don't need to figure out God's specific will for every single situation before you make a decision. Go ahead and order the chicken or the fish. God is fine with either choice. 
Life is hard enough as it is. You don't need that kind of paranoia. God's normal way of operation is not to reveal his specific plans in advance. Now, might you be able to look back on a season of your life and see God's hand guiding you through? Absolutely. I can testify to that in my own life. Might you be praying through a situation, thinking about the wisdom of a decision, and might you sense God's nudging one way or the other? Absolutely. I have experienced that myself. But is God going to give you a crystal ball and show you the future? Almost certainly not. Almost certainly not. But what he does is better. What he does is better. He invites us, again, to be formed in our character to be like him so that we can be people who make wise and courageous decisions. And he invites us to trust him and serve him in the present, trusting that he knows the future and he is sovereign and good. Because it's when we try to discern God's specific will for every situation that we just get messed up. We, we get tangled up in knots and it just gets crazy. Does God want me to stay or move? Does God want me to change jobs or stay? Should we break up or stay together? Does God want me to join the gym or not? Does God want me to order the cheesecake or the apple pie? I mean, cheesecake, come on. But like when we get into those sorts of situations, it gets crazy. When we believe that getting these decisions just right matters that much, it drives us crazy. It causes us to do crazy things. It causes us to do ridiculous things like crumple up little pieces of paper, hand them to a teenager and say, figure out God's will for my life. It makes us crazy. It makes us crazy. Let me give you one more example. This may be relevant to you in your season of life. It may be relevant to your future. Or if not, it'll be relevant to your kids or grandkids so you can share this with them. We talk about trying to figure out God's specific will for our lives. And in my kind of years doing young adult ministry and singles ministry, I, I've so many times I've been in so many conversations where someone's in a dating relationship and they're trying to figure out, is this person the one? Is this person the one? Now, let me preface this by saying decisions about dating and marriage, they are a big deal. They should absolutely be covered in prayer and they should absolutely involve the counsel of wise and godly friends who can, who can provide some insight into the health of our relationships. But the one is as real as a unicorn. Okay? The one is as real as a unicorn. There is no such thing as the one. Uh, and I want to illustrate this using this. I did not come up with this illustration, but I think it is brilliant. So I'm going to steal it and use it today. So I'm married to my wife, Christy. And let's suppose that I'm actually not the one for Christy. Christy wasn't supposed to marry me. Suppose she was supposed to marry our college friend, Drew. That would have been a downgrade in almost every way. I'm kidding. Drew's, Drew's awesome. But let's suppose that Christy was supposed to marry Drew instead of marrying me. Now, because Drew is not married to Christy, when he, marries his, when he married his wife, Danielle, 
That meant Danielle was marrying the wrong person too because Danielle was actually supposed to be married to Steve. But now because Steve, because Danielle was married to Drew, Steve has to marry Kelly. But Kelly was supposed to marry Matt, but now she's married to Steve. And we've got all sorts of wrong people getting married. And then all of us around the Christmas season are getting all these Christmas cards with cute pictures of wrong babies on them. And just the whole like course of human history is, is thrown off track. Why? Only because Christy married me when she was supposed to marry Drew. Come on, man. Dating, relationships, marriage, that's hard enough. You don't need that kind of pressure. You don't need that kind of pressure. There's no such thing as the one. See, when we obsess over God's will of direction, don't miss this. When we obsess over God's will of direction, we're asking God to be clear in areas where he never promised clarity. We want clarity, but what God wants for us is to trust him and live with wisdom. And pursuing clarity sounds really spiritual. But in reality, often, to be honest, oftentimes we do it because we're scared. And oftentimes it is more likely to leave us frustrated. Worse yet, it is likely to leave us believing that God doesn't care about what we feel are the most important decisions of our lives. When nothing is further than, from the truth. Nothing could be further from the truth. Because knowing and living God's will is both more simple and more difficult than we realize. And I want to show you this morning just a few well-known scripture passages to help bring this into focus. And we're going to see that while you and I, we're often all tied up in knots worried about the future, God's will for us has much more to do with the present than the future. And you and I, don't miss this, we get so hung up on the who, what, when, and where. And God is so much more concerned with the why. God is so much more concerned with the why. And then most importantly, I want to show you how when it comes to the decisions that will affect your life and mine the most, God has been wonderfully, beautifully crystal clear. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to bounce around to a few places, but this is the one I want you to see. Matthew chapter 6, page 812 on the Bible, on the Bible underneath the seat in front of you. Matthew chapter 6. See, we get so stressed out wanting to know God's will for the future. Because we want to, because again, we want to know the future. We want to avoid pain and we want to pursue what is best. And that's not necessarily wrong. I feel like that's what was behind my big decision all those years ago about where to go to school. And yet again, if we look in the scriptures, we're going to see over and over and over again that you and I are invited to serve God in the present and then trust him with the future rather than hijacking our present because we're so worried about the future. I find it so fascinating that in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he directly addresses the issue of anxiety about the future. It's a famous passage. He says this, starting in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Pause right there really quick. I just want to point out, Jesus doesn't say, don't worry about the future because it's wrong. That's not what he says. 
He says, don't worry about the future because it's pointless. It will literally accomplish nothing. And he goes on to say, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Did you catch God's antidote for anxiety about the future in there? His antidote for anxiety about the future, he says, instead of wasting so much time and energy worried about the future, take all of that energy and invest it into seeking my kingdom first today. Tomorrow will worry about tomorrow. Focus your energy on investing yourself in my kingdom today. See, too many of us, we have spent too much time wringing our hands over futures real and imagined and allowed that to hijack our fruitfulness, our joy, our effectiveness for the kingdom today. God wants to free you from that. Is God calling you to switch jobs I don't know, but in whatever job you have, he's calling you to seek first his kingdom and trust him with tomorrow. Is God calling you to move? I don't know, but wherever you live, God is calling you to seek first his kingdom today and trust him with tomorrow. Is God calling you to this college or that college? I don't know, but he's calling you to seek first his kingdom wherever you end up. Is God calling you to marry that person? Are they the right person? I don't know, but don't miss this if you're a single person. Don't miss this if you're a single person. Is God calling you to marry that person? I don't know, but if you are the right person. That means you are seeking first his kingdom today. And if you're not the right person, it doesn't matter if you find the right person because you're going to make that marriage all sorts of wrong. And listen, I'm just going to get up on my soapbox for a second, but marriage is beautiful. But no matter who you marry, it's going to be hard. No amount of God show me the right person is going to save you from the work of marriage. Marriage is beautiful, but it's hard. And listen, it is a lot harder if you make a habit of breaking the number one rule. All right. A lot harder. Take it seriously. But for every minute you spend trying to find the right person, spend an hour trying to become the right person. Is God calling you to be a pastor or an accountant? I don't know, but don't miss this. What matters a thousand times more than the specific career you choose is the heart that you bring into that career. If you become a pastor for the compliments, first of all, you will melt under the criticism. Second, you're going to hurt people. Third, you're probably going to hurt yourself. If you become an accountant because you want to get rich, you're going to hurt people. 
and you're probably going to hurt yourself. But in any profession you choose, if you seek first God's kingdom, you can be a powerhouse for his kingdom. You can have the greatest job in the world and waste it if you're only in it for yourself. Or you can glorify God in the most mundane of jobs or careers if you go to work as an act of worship and you're seeking first his kingdom. See, what I didn't understand all those years ago, when I was stressed out about where am I going to move and God, I want to do the right thing and all this other stuff, is that God didn't really care that much about my location. That God cared a lot more about the heart that I was bringing to that location. So I look back on that decision and am I happy with how things turned out? Yeah, it was a great season of my life. I have no regrets. Do I think it would have been wrong of me if I had gone to Vancouver instead of Southern California? No. I don't, my life would have been different, that's for sure. Maybe better, maybe worse. Listen, Oceanside brought with it a series of blessings and challenges. And guess what I probably would have found in Vancouver? <laughs> a series of blessings and challenges. But I look back and I say, do I think I honored God with that decision other than kind of my own wonky thinking about needing to get it right? Like at the end of the day, yeah, I think I did because my desire was to honor God with it. My desire was to serve him in whatever location I ended up in. So do I think it would have been wrong of me to make a different choice? No, I don't. No, I don't. See, some of you, you need that freedom in the decisions that you're making. That it's much more about your heart than about the specific decision. Because you will not miss God's calling on your life because you lived in the wrong city or you married the wrong person or you took the wrong job. You will not miss God's calling on your life because you got those decisions wrong. You will only miss God's calling on your life if you choose to spend your life seeking after your kingdom and not his. Seeking after your kingdom and not his. Consider another famous passage. You don't need to turn there, but just listen to these words. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What do those verses tell us about finding God's will? Do they tell us that we're going to find clarity by asking God to be clear? We're going to find his will that way? No, they don't. Do they tell us to just, you know, take a guess and hope everything goes well and we'll kind of see what happens? No, they don't. They say, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that as your mind is transformed, as your heart is transformed to become more like Christ, you will be the sort of person who is able to discern the will of God because you will have a heart that desires to do the will of God. You will have a heart that desires to do the will of God. To put this differently, instead of stressing out about the who, what, when, and where, focus your energy on purifying your why. And recognize that if you have the why right, there's freedom in the other stuff. There's freedom in the other stuff. See, the will of God is so much less about Southern California or Canada and it's much more about wherever you are, where, whatever you do, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or to put it differently, 
Some of you are fill-in-the-blank people and you're very nervous right now. (laughs) To put this differently, here's the the fill-in-the-blank on the bulletin you received when you walked in the door. God's will for your life is that you would walk in His ways. God's will for your life is that you would walk in His ways. If you want to know God's ways, walk in His will. Because, excuse me, if you want to know God's will, start that over. If you want to know God's will, walk in His ways. Because if you're walking in His ways, you'll be in the center of His will. I'm going to say that again. If you want to know God's will, walk in His ways. Because if you're walking in His ways, you'll be in the center of His will. I think about 1 Thessalonians 4.3. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What's God's will for your life? That you would be made holy. That you would be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I think about Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, a passage that we have on the wall in our living room at home. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge, which that Hebrew word means know intimately. In all your ways know Him intimately and He will make your path straight. In all your ways, walk in His ways and He will lead you in His will. Walk in His ways and He will lead you in His will. Walk in His ways and He will lead you in His will. Now, when you walk in His ways, that brings clarity and freedom. Now, I know I've spent this whole time talking, you know, kind of knocking, seeking clarity. But there is a kind of clarity that can be ours when we're walking in God's ways. And it's the clarity that comes when those decisions which would harm us and harm others, they lose their appeal. I think of that, that, that beautiful, the beautiful words from, from, uh, from the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. The things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. Right? It's the idea that those decisions which would hurt you and hurt others, the unethical business decision, the selfish choice at home, the marriage choice of marrying somebody who's not walking in God's ways, the financial expenditure that just isn't wise. Those decisions begin to lose their appeal as you walk in God's ways. So there is a level of clarity that comes from walking in his ways that will save us from decisions that would ultimately lead to our harm. So that's the clarity. And then there's freedom. Colossians 3.17 says, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Should you take the new job, or should you stay at your old job? In whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Should I get the Toyota or the Honda? Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. What is God's will for your life? God's will for your life is that whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. (laughs) And listen, some of you are frustrated right now. And you're frustrated because you're rule followers. 
And you're frustrated because you're the sort of person that you say, listen, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I will follow the rules. The worst thing in my life is to make a decision and then be wrong or get in trouble for it. I just want to follow the rules. So tell me what to do and I'll do it. And you're a little bit frustrated because this sort of picture of God's will that I'm painting for you does not quite give you that kind of clarity. But understand, God in his goodness does not give you a blueprint. Instead, he invites you to align your heart with his and to then make decisions with courage and wisdom. Is that hard? Yeah. But most things that work out to your benefit are hard. Most things are. And as you walk in God's ways, you will be in the center of his will. And so there is freedom. To use wisdom and make wise decisions. Because God's will is so much more about the why than the what. God's will is so much more about knowing God's heart than than obsessively trying to see his hand in every situation. God's will is that whatever we go, wherever we go and whatever we do, we would do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And that's what's most important. And that's what's most important. See, what you and I don't get is we think these seemingly big decisions in life are the decisions that are going to affect our lives the most. And listen, I'm not saying they're not important. And I'm going to give you an example of how kind of this decision-making looks in my life as we wrap up here in just a second. I'm not saying these decisions are not important. But what you and I need to understand, and this was such a game-changer for me, is that our commitment to knowing God's heart... Our commitment to being people of joy and compassion, our commitment to being people of generosity and integrity, our commitment to those things will impact our lives more than any other decision we make. And because that is true and because God loves us on those subjects, he has been beautifully crystal clear. See, there's a reason why the Bible doesn't tell you who to marry apart from giving some basic parameters. But if you go to the Bible looking for how to be a good spouse, you're going to find a whole lot. There's a reason why the Bible is not going to tell you what job you should take or what career path you should choose. But you're going to find an awful lot in there about how to do work for God's glory. There's a reason why the Bible doesn't tell you where to live, but the Bible's going to tell you a lot about being a person of character, integrity, and generosity. There's a reason why the Bible doesn't contain a formula for an easy and stress-free life, but it contains a lot about living with wisdom in all things. Listen, if you haven't figured this out by now, just get it out there. Your life is going to be a series of blessings and challenges. It just is. My wife and I talk about this all the time is when we're reeling from different things and we're stressed out and tired and all this stuff. We, this phrase we say to each other all the time is we say that meaningful work is difficult. Meaningful work is going to take something from you. There is no path for it to a meaningful life that does not involve pain and challenges and that does not require perseverance. But our comfort is that God says to seek first his kingdom. God says to seek first his kingdom in all things. On that which is most important, God has been clear. 
So may we then be people who spend less time wringing our hands trying to find God's specific will of direction. And instead, may we acknowledge the beauty of His will of decree and so be people who radically seek to live out His will of desire. And we're going to get more into this next week and kind of go at it from a little bit of a different angle and, and talk some practicalities and, and all that stuff. But, but before we wrap up tonight, this morning, wherever we are, <laughs> I want to just testify very briefly to how this has changed my approach to decision making. Because I've been thinking about this these last couple of weeks and my wife and I have been talking about it. That we're just in a season of life where we've got big decisions in front of us. I mean, my guess is lots of you would would share that sentiment. We're in a season of life where we've got some big decisions in front of us. And I'm going to share with you a big decision we're in the process of making. And I'm going to share with you with the understanding that we're not looking for suggestions. Are we good on that? <laughs> like, I've got an idea. Oh, thank you. But we're in a situation right now where we need to make some decisions about the educational futures of our children. We've got young kids and we're trying to figure out where are we going to send them to school for the next several years. And listen, are we doing research? Yes, absolutely. As you seek to make wise decisions, don't do that in a vacuum. Do your research. Are we looking at just the practicalities of life, bell schedules and locations, and how is each place going to work with two working parents and all of that stuff? Yes, absolutely. Are we praying about this decision? Will we pray about this decision? Yes, absolutely. Please don't hear me saying in any of this that you ought not pray about the big decisions you're making. Nothing could be further from what I'm trying to communicate to you this morning. But let me tell you what I'm not going to pray. I'm not praying that God would like magically highlight the perfect school for my kids. I'm not praying for that. I'm not praying for that. Instead, I'm praying that we would make this educational decision for the right reasons. Because listen, I understand wherever we go, whatever school we choose, again, it's going to have its combination of blessings and challenges. And I'm praying we would make this decision for the right reasons. I'm praying we would make this decision with a heart to be a light for the kingdom on that campus. I'm praying we would make that decision with a heart to be a blessing to the faculty and the staff and to other, and to other families. I'm praying that we would make this decision with the heart to find a school that would join us in our efforts to raise our boys to be compassionate and thoughtful individuals. And I'm praying that wherever we end up, we would have a heart to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And here's the biggest difference between approaching this decision and approaching that seminary decision all those years ago. And if you haven't heard me say a single thing up to this point, just don't miss this because it is so huge. That decision 12 years ago was full of fear. I was so scared I was going to make the wrong choice. As I look forward to this very important decision, there is not an ounce of fear in my heart. Not one. Not one. That fear is a distant memory. Because I know that God's will for my life and God's will for my family is that we would walk in His ways and we don't do that 
perfectly, but our heart is to do that. And I know that if we walk in his ways, we will be in the center of his will. There is no fear in that. There is only freedom. It's true for me and it's true for you. Amen. So I want to invite the prayer team to to come on up. In a room this size, I know a lot of us walked in here today with decisions and and stuff on our minds and and things coming up. And you can come and ask this team for prayer for anything, but I specifically want to invite you after I close in prayer that maybe you might come forward with decisions that you're making and that you might ask this team to pray for, for a purification of your why. That you would make decisions for the right reasons. And then from that place, you would have the courage and the wisdom to make the difficult choices that are in front of you. So let me pray, and then these folks would love to pray for you if that would be of benefit to you. Let's pray together. God, thank you that your will of decree is good. Thank you that living in line with your will of obedience or your will of desire is obedience. And I pray that we would be men and women whose hearts have been so transformed by your love, whose minds have been so renewed by your spirit, that we would desire to be people who walk in your ways. And, and, and that as we walk in your ways, would you lead us in your will? Would you help us to be people willing to make wise and courageous decisions? Would you help us to be people who seek first your kingdom today and trust you with tomorrow? God, we're not going to be able to do that on our own. So Spirit, would you continue to renew our minds so that we can live in that way for your glory and our joy? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.